Welcome to the FCCI Pathway to Purpose podcast. As a Christian business leader, how do you integrate your faith with business? And how do you leverage the platform of business to draw others closer to Christ? FCCI has been helping Christian business leaders on this journey since 1977. And we pray that the content you find here will serve you well in that endeavor. You can find additional resources and opportunities to engage with other Christian business leaders at FCCI.org. And now, enjoy the podcast. Excellence of product is constantly redefined. This is a hard one to live with. Excellence of, co- of product is constantly redefined. That which was excellent three years ago is no longer excellent today. I, I found that out, really, in a, in a shocking way, the night before I came here. The weather's changing, and I, and I, and I, and I put my, uh, you know, winter jackets and clothes downstairs. And, and last, the night before I came up here, my son was down there playing on a little computer. And I went down to the closet to pick out some clothes to uh, put upstairs. And I, I don't throw away clothes. So I took jackets out from a long time ago that I thought would still fit. <laughs> and I began trying them on. And my son was watching me. And I tried one green plaid one on. And kind of a red and black one on. And David began to laugh. He said, Dad, you're not going outside in one of those, are you? (laughs) Those those coats, you know, when I was in uh, seminary. (laughs) My wife's really right. I got a pack rat. And then I have in the corner of my closet, like probably most of you guys do, ties. That go from this wide to this wide, right? That which was excellent at one time, in the eyes of the customer, changes. When we uh, designed Daily Walk 10 years ago, it was a 10. It's no longer a 10. It hadn't changed. But people have changed. Remember Bill Cream? (laughs) And I remember hearing about a guy who used a hair dryer. And said to myself, never in my life will I ever use a hairdryer. <laughs> Colors change. Look at the color of this coat and this tie. Any pink shirt. Color taste changes. Excellence changes. Principle number four. Excellence of product is the Christian's excellence of product is the Christian's trademark. It's funny how the older I I grow, the more I appreciate what God makes. Are you finding that true? Do you notice things He makes more and more often? I never thought I'd get a kick out of watching a bird. Like I, I, look at that. How does that hummingbird do that? And the flowers. Just walking here every morning past that courtyard and seeing the flowers that are in there. You know, when you get started thinking about excellence, you constantly evaluate. How excellent is that? Every time I see something God makes, I always have the same reaction. The shape of that tree is just classy. The shape of that leaf. Those birds. 
When we make things, our trademark is supposed to be better than, not just different than. Part of that is that excellence is always based on comparison, isn't it? How can you be better than if you're by yourself? And how can you be number one with any kind of significance if there's no number two? I remember when somebody started competing with us in the marketplace that we were in, in a strong way, really bothered me. So a friend of mine walked in and said to me, <clears throat> well, finally have a chance to excel. So what do you mean I finally have a chance to excel? He says, well, now you finally have somebody to race with. And he said, I prophesy that your quality is going to radically improve because the race is on. He's right. I hate to admit it. He's right. Competition is real. It's not something to be run away with. I love the verse in Proverbs. See a man, it says in Proverbs 22, 29, who excels in his work, he will stand before kings. Excels in his work above everybody else who does his kind of work. He'll stand before kings. Last thing, a last principle before we get into the how-tos. Excellence of product demands unrelenting commitment and effort. Excellence of product demands unrelenting commitment and effort. You never fully catch excellence. You're always trying to catch excellence. It's the pursuit of. It's in search of. It's running after. And what distinguishes excellent companies is they don't stop. They never stop on their laurels. They always are going for better, for better, for better. There's an inertia that's tied to excellence, isn't there? A, a weight that says, I don't, I don't want to change. We've always done it this way. This is good enough. <laughs> we're no worse than anybody else. Or we're 10% above, you know, national averages. There's that pursuit of excellence. All right, let's move now to some uh, steps of what on earth can you do. I want to skip number five for a minute and move to number six to personalize those principles. If what I make is excellent, and if what God makes is excellence, what, what should be the uh, benefits that come to me if my company makes excellent products or my company makes excellent services? What, what should be the benefits that come to me? What, say it again. Pride of what you make? Sure. When God said in Genesis 1.28, and God saw everything that he made and said, I love this, that's very good. Pride can be sinful or pride can be okay. It can be good. Nothing wrong to say, I made that, that's very good. It's kind of a false humility to say, I didn't really do this, God did it in me. Yeah, but you did it too. What else was going to come if you're excellent? Do you think profit will come? Do you think profit is a potential test of how excellent your product is and how much you're meeting your customers' needs and how well you've organized your team? And if you think your product is a 7 on a scale of 1 to 10, if you move your product from a 7 to a 9, do you think in time it will make much difference? 
Now, I'm setting you up for some principles here. If you become a little bit more alert to what exactly the customer is saying, and let's say you were hitting them 50% of the time, exactly what they wanted, but you began to listen to them even more and more closely, and you began to pay more and more attention to them, and you began to hit them 70% of the time, exactly what they wanted. So they walked into the, whatever store your product is sold at, and they look at it and say, ah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. You think that would change your profit? Do you think God is concerned about profit? Yes. Yes. And profit is a demonstration of how well my product is excellent, how well it meets the needs of people that I'm called to meet their needs to, and how well I'm administrating the people inside to be efficient and effective in what they do. And therefore, if profits are low, one of those three circles is out of bounds, or maybe two, or maybe all three. The plan that we're going to go over now Every one of these things that we're going to share is statistically proven. Hold on to this now. I've worked hard on getting this ready for you guys and for myself. Every one of these principles, and we'll give you five of them before you leave tomorrow, in studying hundreds of companies statistically by the Chamber of Commerce, they have said that every one of these principles that we'll be giving you impacts profit from the people who don't do it and the people who do do it by at least 100%. 100%. So if you and I could ever grab a hold of this regarding how we do our business, how we define our excellence in what we do, there will be, unless there's some real unrest among your people, there'll be some dramatic change. Principle number one. or the performance or plan number one. has four words. I've kind of boiled it down to. Excel. Excel in market niche. Excel in market niche. Let me explain what I mean. Market are the people who buy your products. The niche is that part of the market who buys your products. It's those group of people who buy the product you make. From here to here. People who buy cars, that's the market. People who buy cars that are subcompact, that's the market. Whatever your niche is of the marketplace, you want to excel in that particular market niche. Let's see if I can't explain that a little bit more. Yesterday we went over some passages that kind of said to us. God calls people by name. He gives to them abilities supernaturally. Why should you brag over the things that you differ in? Whether one is good in this and one that isn't. Why should you brag over that? Because who gave it to you in the first place? Answer, God. I believe God gives those gifts to everybody. Not spiritual gifts, but talents. And Psalm 139 isn't just for the Christian, it's also for the non-Christian. Now, the other side of that is not only does he give us gifts to use, now watch this, but I believe he gives us inclinations to certain kinds of needs of people. Well, who 
Who did God call Peter to minister to? Some of you haven't read Acts in a while. Let's pick an easier one. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about God's call to the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Let me think who else we can make it easier here. Did anybody famous ever say, I'm not supposed to go here, I'm supposed to go here? What was his name? Jesus, yeah. What did he say? Yeah, I've been called to the house of Judah. I've been called to the Jews. Do you notice what he's saying? That's my market. And I've been called to that market. Who called him to that market? God did. Who called Peter to whatever market you think he went to? God did. So when you go back and read Acts. Who do you think called Paul to a market? God. God. The Macedonian vision. Come over and... Help us. That's a, that's a market. Somehow we think that when we move out of religious circles into business circles, God has no interest or no inclination or no gifting or no plan or no nothing. He's just vaguely here. I get asked all the time to go speak. Most of the time I say no because I say to myself, that's not part of my calling. Please come give a marriage couple's retreat. No, thank you. There are other people who can do it better. Please come give a pastor's conference. Let me check my date book. Please come speak at our Valentine's banquet. No, thank you. The market is a part of the call of God and needs to be sought after carefully. Don't separate it and say, God cares about how my character is, but he could care less who I work with. I don't believe that, guys. How come it's true for me and what I do with my life and my gifts, but not true for what you do in your gifts? It's no different. We've already proven that with the man that had the same calling, the same... Spirit. And therefore, the same market is to be uncovered. You ought to be asking God, who are the people I'm supposed to build my product for? <coughs> now, if that's true, here, here are all the people in the world. Does God call any of us to all the people in the world? No. Every time you go like this, now watch, and you narrow it because you've determined God's call on your life, how much more clearly can you find out what that group wants and needs better than this group? A whole lot better. Now watch this. If it keeps getting narrower to some degree and gets down to here like a rifle shot, then this is the person you really get to know. And when you make this thing, and this person who you know inside and out walks in to buy a product, and you know them better than they know themselves, and you've made the thing for them, and they say, and all of your market testing, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, and they show up in the store and say, oh, I love it, I buy it. And you smile. 
that's true, then I ought to find statistically in a broad enough survey that the narrower the niches that I aim for, watch this, the result should be more profit. Are you following me? Well, here's the, here's the survey. Over four years, with over 500 mid-sized companies, here's the conclusion. That's kind of small to see. The size of the market and the business performance. This is the percentage of profit. If the market that you're dealing with is a thousand million dollars, your chances of turning a profit return on your investment is 10.9. If you're now down to 500 million to 1,000 million, it doubles. It doubles. It doubles. If you take it narrower from 250 million to 500 million, you're at 22.4%. 100 million to 50 million, 24.2%, 50 million to 100 million, 26.8%, under 50 million dollars, 28.1% profit. That's almost 300% swing. I went out recently while I've been here and had dinner with an with a family that I just really appreciate and respect and love. And one of their children uh, is grown and is on his own and came to dinner, and we've been friends for maybe four or five years now. And we sat down next to each other, and he was struggling through what he wanted to do, as most young men his age do. And I began to ask him questions, and he was like this, about what he was going to do. I spent the whole evening helping him, asking him questions, that's all I did. He didn't know that, but that's all I did. I asked him questions the whole night. And I watched him begin to isolate his gift. And I said to him, Kip, narrow what you think God's call on your life is and go for it. You know what will happen to Kip if he does that? The results of his life effort will multiply many times over than if he tries to do this. If you, therefore, are making products, whatever they are, if you could just narrow your focus down a little bit more, what's going to happen to your profit? Come on. It will increase. Now, when I read In Search of Excellence the first time, I walked away and said to myself, how on earth did they do all that stuff? How could they really be? It's some... Something way off in the clouds. I can't ever figure this out. And I've been working on it for years, and I'm still trying to figure it out. This is one that is easy to understand. No. Better. 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 Ah, that's it. That's it. So I guess I put a sub-point underneath that. Excel by careful selection of your market niche. Excel by the careful selection of your market. Which market niche are you going for? If Edwards Pies, the last time I'll pick on Joe, you and Sarah. If Edwards Pies says we're making pies for the world, they will succeed less 
than if they begin to define what part of the world they're making pies for. Somehow our normal inclination says, the wider it is, the better I do. Statistically, it's exactly the opposite. The narrower I am, the more successful I may be. When walkthrough first started, <laughs> you know what, I'm, what, what we're going to do? It's embarrassing, but it's 10 years ago. We're going to start a Bible college and a seminary and a Christian school and a curriculum house and a publishing house and a senior citizen's home and a place for missionaries to come home on furlough to retrain them and I could go with the whole loop. Whatever there was to do in Christianity, walkthrough was going to do. Because we were under the misconception that said, to the degree of faith you have, the more you will do. And it's been a wrenching learning experience as each part of these little things died and God began to push and push and push. I was like, oh no, no, don't do that. And guess what's happening? The ministry is going, poof, it's exploding. As we do this, we're not called to do this. We're not called to do this. Somebody else is called to do this. God bless you. I called us to do this. You hear those words? God called. Yesterday, our three uh, men that are here, Fred and Reg and Mac and Walt hadn't yet got in, not yesterday, but the day before. We sat down in the coffee shop here. Maybe you saw us for two hours. And we talked the whole two hours about because God saying to us, and that's wrenching. But we all believe as we do that and as we narrow all of our efforts and focus it in on what God's called us to do to whom, that God is free to bless us more in His work. You can say amen to that. It's only a 100% way to double your profit. <laughs> now, I would think to myself that if we narrow a market down and we begin to say, this is what we're going to do here with the thing that I'm called to do. People ask me all the time to speak at young people's things. <laughs> I say, no, that's not who I'm called to minister to. There are other people who are called to do that. Hey, guys, make the transition in your head with me. My call as a religious person is no different than your call. And if you don't grab a hold of that yet, as of, as of Exodus 31, 34, and 35, you didn't, you didn't hear me yesterday. Your call's the same. And your call is not only your talents and what you make, but to whom you make it for. If, therefore, my market niche becomes narrower, and I'm not spending all my time on all these other people, and I can focus my attention, what will begin to happen to the percentage of the people in this boundary line that will begin to buy my product? It will increase. Why? Because all my creativity and my innovation, my thoughts, my dreams, my discussions, my plans are... Ha -ha, Focused. Boy, one of my guys, Reg Rhodes, who is dynamite in this kind of conversations, he must have hit me on the forehead five times in that meeting. <laughs> he even wrote it on a piece of paper and gave it to me. He said, read it. Add that word, focus. Us visionaries focus this way. 
Focus. And what ought to happen? If I'm, I'm meeting these people's needs more and more, and, and my market share, that is the share of the people in these boundaries, what ought to happen to the share that I begin to have the privilege of selling to them or servicing them product? What ought to happen to my market share? Increase. It'll increase. Now, if it increases, would there be any difference on profitability? Now, now hold it for a minute. Let's think about that. Let, let's say I have the, this much market, but I got 20% of it. And I got this much market, but I got 60% of it. Listen now. If God's call is real and true, and it may be more concrete than you may think. Just that we haven't paid attention to it. Bless you. Then as that comes together, I wonder if profitability will be impacted of 20% of this or 60% of this. In other words, does profitability related to the percentage of the market niche that I own? Ooh, if, that, if it was, boy, would I be encouraged the second time to do this. Happen to have a chart. <laughs> Happen to have a chart. Let's say there are four people competing in your market niche. Right now in our, in our ministry, in the area of seminars, <laughs> there's more than 100. Let's say in the area of publications, there may be 10. Now, we're not in it for profit as a non-profit, but we want to be profitable in what we do. But let's say... That the market share and business performance, that is, if I get more or less of the market share in my market niche, what happens to profitability? Watch now. I have this market and my share of it goes up. What happens to profit? If I'm four, fourth, not first, second, third, or fourth amount of the share, but if I have fourth or more or less, excuse me, I can average 10.9%. Now that's before interest and uh, overhead, so it's, not, it's inflated a little bit. What happens if I move up to third? Over a four-year, over 500 mid-sized companies. This is a valid test. 11.8%. What happens if I finally admit to move up to second? Hertz, Avis. 22%. You almost double if you can get second market share versus fourth market share. Now look what happens if you go to be number one. 30.2%. That's 300% more profit than if you were fourth. Listen to me. If I have four markets I'm in, and I'm in fourth place in all of them because I'm trying to do all of them. If we practice this one principle... It means that we do less things better. Now, you're sitting there, if you're a shrewd business person, you're probably saying, uh-uh, there's an exception to that. And you, if you were following me, you'd be saying the exception is it has a great deal different what marketplace you're in because some marketplaces are exploding and some other marketplaces have little growth, right? You follow me on that one? 
The markets are exploding. High-tech stuff. Boom. Um, furniture. I don't know if it's exploding or not. So that you would say to yourself, that's not true. If you're in a high-explosive market and a, and a kind of a stable market, you don't have a chance to compete to one another. That's exactly not true. It's not true. Statistically, look at the difference. Here's the... Here's market growth. So let's say you have five different levels of how fast a market you're working in is growing. On the left, it's, it's going downhill. Then your market that you're in is growing 5 to 10%, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, and 20% more. There's a difference of return on investment you can have in those marketplaces. Statistically, they're almost not even worth no noting. So if you say, I can't wait to get in this market because it's exploding, you're probably going to hit 19%. And if you're in a 5% market growth, you're going to hit 23% on the average. So be careful that you don't find rationalizations in your mind that says, God's calling me to this marketplace, but it's not growing. In fact, it's declining. It's declining? Look at minus 5%, 21%. It's bigger than the 19% of an exploding market. What's all that say to us? I love the looks on this audience right now. <laughs> How about a nice, simple Bible verse? <laughs> Is that what you were thinking? <laughs> My customers have stopped buying. <laughs> Let me summarize this point. It has a principle behind it that I believe is biblical. That's why it works. Now follow with me. The biblical principle is that God puts a divine call on every Christian's life to meet certain people's needs. I'm not called today to be a missionary in Brazil. If I was called, I'd be there. I'm not called to speak to junior high students, or I'd be speaking to them, and I would not be here. I'm called to speak to pastors, to Christian businessmen, and other Christian leaders, and then lay people. That's the order of priority in my life. Why? Because over the years, I've been thinking, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Seeking all the time. So this concept that says God's call in my life is not vague. It is real. It is to be sought after. It is to be struggled over. And as you begin to narrow that market down to do with the people more concretely what God has talented you to do, then you ought to experience a benefit from that. And the benefit's going to be that as you narrow down your focus, your profitability will go up. And secondly, as you get to know your customers in that market niche and your efforts increase, if you can go from fourth to third, third to second, second to first, you'll get 300% more profit, which means you're doing your job better. Therefore, are there benefits to finding that niche and working in it? Answer, yes. How many of you may have too wide of a market today. Come on. Now, if those of you, uh, if 10% of those of you who raised your hands struggled through this for the next couple of weeks with your leadership and made to begin to transition, send a tithe of that prophet to walk through the Bible. <laughs> oh, my God. <goodness. laughs> 
I'm only kidding. We talked about our first concept, being excellent in a market niche. And we said to you before break time that we're going to give you another one of these. And it's four words long. Plan number two on your notes. First we said excel in market what? Niche. Niche. Excel in the market. It's the people that you pick. You pick your team carefully. You also pick the people you build your product or service for carefully. Second, excel in product quality. Excel in product quality. That is what you build, or if it's a service, whether it be um, pumping gas, perhaps, or if it's that's a product more, I guess, coming in and cleaning a person's house, it could be all kinds of service companies, that you need to excel in it. The standard thought has been, how can I be more profitable? And our first thought, I find in my peers and the people I am friends with, we think about how can I cut the expense of building my product? So we say, aha, I'll put it on a little bit cheaper paper. And instead of buying a $500 picture of a 10 quality, we'll take one spend $75, and it may be an eight, but we saved $225. That we think to make more profit, listen to me now, we think to make more profit, we cut the quality. And yet, God doesn't do that, so I, I, I run the questions about whether or not that's God's way of doing business. That's the way it comes natural to me. I say, how can I cut costs by using less quality that the customer won't maybe notice. It's interesting. Began to think through everything God made that I could think of. And I couldn't think of any, anywhere where he cut corners. Glad he didn't cut corners on me. I added some stuff to the corners and they're kind of rounded now. <laughs> now somehow we, we, we think to make more profit, cut quality. Is that true or not? Now, that's not true, but that's how we may think from time to time. If you look at the American trend in automobiles, <laughs> we cut quality and cut quality and cut quality to make more profit, and the Japanese came over here. And they took away the market like crazy. It has a lot to say about this principle. Because there's a lot of parts to it that are just mind-bogglers when you hear the statistics. Now, when you think about excelling in product quality, the first thing that may come to your mind is, does that mean all of us are supposed to make BMWs and Mercedes-Benz if we're in the car business? Or if we're in the hotel business, then what that means is, all I can do is build uh, Ritz-Carlton's. Or um, if I'm in the soup business, all, all I can make is Hart, Shafter, and Marks. No, it doesn't. That's right. It's interesting, when God decided to make animals... He didn't make one animal. He made animals after their own kind. Whoa, look at that. He made all these segments of product. You can take any row and go in any direction. You, you can take animals and go hundreds. You can take fish 
and go hundreds. You can take birds and go thousands. But they're segments of them. And if you go, if you could say this about what God has made, if you go to the low end, okay, of animals, and then if you go to the upper end of animals, now that's very good. Yeah. I and you, you and I are higher than a monkey. <coughs> Amen. <laughs> Tentative. <laughs> but yet, when God used this product, group, he didn't make one without excellence. When he made a monkey, that's one classy monkey. And when he made an eagle, he made a classy eagle. But when he made a hummingbird, it is classy as an eagle, but it's different kind. So when I think about, I want to copy him, because he's my model, and I begin thinking to myself, how does God make product? The answer is, it's incredible. He makes all different rows of products, different kinds, different segments of that line of animals. But no matter where you pick, it's superb. So let's say you say, I am going to have a product that is um, an automobile. If you don't think clearly in your mind, you'll think i got to build the best luxury automobile. That's not what we're saying. That's not what God did. God made upper end to lower end. But no matter what end he was at or where he was at, it was the best. It could not be improved upon. So that means if I'm, a, if I'm an automobile maker, I have to decide which market I'm building for from here to here. Guy who can spend $6,000 or a guy who can spend $60,000. I could care less how much it costs. And if I'm going to pick this marketplace and I'm going to build something to meet your needs, which is constrained by money the most, then when I build it, how good should it be in that framework? It should be the best within the product segment. That means everybody that's competing against me in this product segment of low-end cars ought to be behind me. And I ought to be the leader of the pack of low-end. That doesn't mean that I am called to go to the next level up. That better be carefully thought through, prayed through, tested. I wonder. We're right in the middle of that walkthrough. I wonder if God's calling us here. We're going to talk about that today again as a leadership group. I wonder if. I wonder if. What do you think? What do you think? I'm not sure. Some big decisions that walk through his history right now. And we're, we're running over and testing it and running back. And comforting each other and giving each other courage. And hitting each other right here about that's a dumb idea. and all. That's the way life is. Now, if that's true then a couple things should be true as, as well. One, that it doesn't make any difference which product niche I pick. It shouldn't make any difference. If I want to build low-end cars, fine. If I just can't stand the thought of that, and all, I want fine supple leather and mahogany and 17 coats of paint. And I love the 18 speakers. And that doesn't turn me on. Just like this doesn't turn some of those people on. But it turns me on. And I want to build that. That's where I ought to be. But if I'm in that bracket, I don't want to be in the middle of the bracket. I don't want to be in the low end of the bracket. I want to be the top of the bracket. Now, is profitability 
This is the whole thesis of this. Is profitability tied to the way God does his things? I think it's directly tied. And if we can copy what he does, I think Tom Peters will be writing his third book on us. And I want to write the foreword. I told you so. <laughs> he sure has helped me. He's busted out some boxes. So I would say to myself then, two questions. Statistically, in 525 mid-sized country, companies in all the major different kinds of manufacturing, etc., product, service, what difference does it make if I'm in a niche of making products, i.e. automobiles, and I chose not the lowest, but the second from the lowest? How good is it in my profit line if I make the lowest in that niche quality, the middle niche in quality, and the upper niche of quality in my segment of product line? Now, I would anticipate, before I even saw these numbers, that God makes the best in every single one of his product categories. I didn't stumble on anything that I said. That wasn't God's best. Everything I've run into, same way as you, it's the best it can be. So I would say to myself, I'm inclined to believe that if I'm going to pick a product line, that the higher I am to the top of that product line and that segment of products, I bet you I'm going to have more profit. Let's see if that holds true. This is exciting stuff. Relative product quality within a segment now. It's return on investment, four-year average, 525 companies mid-size. If you're a low quality, you're going to have 16.8% return on investment before interest and before corporate overhead. If you move up to middle quality, 19.8%. If you are the top of the quality in your unit, 27.1% return. What's the percentage of increase from here to here? 70 to 80% more profit. Let's get that, let's yell that from the housetops together. 70 to 80% more profit. If God's called me to make this product for these people, and if I've been satisfied with mediocre, I can make 40% more profit just by moving up. Don't cut quality of paper. Increase the quality of the paper. Don't buy a cheaper picture. Buy a better picture. Don't cut the quality. Increase the quality. What happens when you increase quality? You make more profit. <coughs> you believe that? Most of us don't because thus far we haven't been the leading product in our category. Have we? Because we all thought, or some of us thought, the best way to succeed is cut expenses on the quality of our product. And statistics, you know when I heard this the first time? It almost knocked me over. I was out at a meeting with Federal Express. Fred Fanko and I got an invitation to come come to one of their big meetings on quality and excellence. And Robert Waterman, the co-author of In Search of Excellence and the author of a brand new book, just read excerpts out of um, Fortune. It's great insights. And his first point was, the higher the quality, the more profit you're going to make. Don't ever cut costs on making your product. 
plus your product. Don't cut the quality of your product. The more you cut, the less profit you'll make. The more you raise it, the more product, profit you'll make. And I said, there's no way that's possible. And then he began to tick off illustrations. I, and I began to do my own research since I heard that because I said, if that's true, boy, that's life change to me as a CEO. Because last week, we were talking about, should we print this on cheaper paper? Last week. And I was leaning to say, yeah, probably we ought to. Let's see if you can notice it very much. <laughs> so am I preaching to myself? Guess what kind of paper we're going to print it on? In our, in our product line, which is devotionals, I'm not going to print it on paper of um, IBM annual report paper. Not, why not? That's not my product segment. But the best paper of anybody in that product segment, we're going to be better than them. And when you see our pictures, you're going to say, look at that picture. Now, what about you? Stop for a second. Think about your product. Okay? Think about the segment. Dit, dig, ditch digging. What's your product? Oh, you're the ditch digger. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're the elevator guy. Westinghouse is going to buy. At double the price it is today because it's going to keep growing in excellence and profit. Where are you? Right now. Think. I, I sell automobiles. And if you were to look at all of the automobile dealers in a 100-mile radius, put them together, I would be where? I do printing. I don't do printing of upper end. I don't do printing of the lower end. I do printing right in the middle. And if I got all the middle-priced printing operations together and I compared your printing, where would you be? And what would happen to your profit? If you determine, doggone it, I'm going to move my quality to the top of my category. Don't change categories. Your profit could increase 80%. Now, the second thing that I began wondering about is what happens if I, if I make a product down here in the low end versus a transition upwards to the higher end? And I asked myself the question, Will there be a dramatic difference between being called to market to the low end versus being called to market to the high end? Because if there is, it doesn't seem quite fair. Now, I ask the questions before I know the answers because that gives me the question to go try and answer. And I had the assumption that it's probably going to be a lot more profitable at the upper end than at the lower end, and then that's where life is. But if God calls you, that doesn't seem fair to me. You follow me? Weird questions. <laughs> Well, look what we found. What do you think we found? Relative price of product and business performance. How expensive the car is regarding to how much profit I earn, return on my investment over four years, over 525 companies. If it is a low end, it's 18.6, a little bit more 21.2, a little bit more 21.1, and if you go to the upper end, 22.4. In my opinion... It's not much difference. So therefore, let's not say any more to each other, if I only could make the, mm -hmm, I'd make a lot more money. Uh-uh. If you made, you want the big change? There's the big change. You want to make more money? Then do it God's way. What's God's way? To be excellent? To be superior to? There's none other besides me, he says. Who can compare to what I do?
Be the best in your product category. Take a moment. We'll have to come back to this tomorrow. Take a moment. And I want to ask yourself in the very sidelines of your notepads there, where would you put yourself in the quality of your product, in the niche that you're in right now, just on the side of your column? Put down a number. I'm in the top 10%. I'm about 50. 50. Where are you? Now, let's ask the right question first. Where does God want you to be? That's the right question. Remember, you don't work for profit per se. You work for Him. And you do it for Him in His way. And profit's going to come flooding. So where does He want you to be? I think it's the best, gentlemen. And if you, if you doubt that, then take one of those videotapes from yesterday, part two, and listen to it again. So if he wants to be best, for you to be best in whatever you do, then what will happen to your profit if you decide to move up to best over the next year and a half? If you were bottom 25% because you were cutting costs over and over and over again, and you were cutting quality, then if you decide to go and be first, and it'll take you a year to do it maybe, shouldn't take longer than that, your profit will increase 80%. So if a person could say, I, I want to be excellent and I, and I want to know how to be excellent. We've taught you one principle and half of another one. One principle is focus and get the majority of that section. Focus and the majority. It's called deep and wide, deep and wide. There's profit flowing deep and wide. <laughs> And the second one we talked about saying, a liberating concept, guys. And we're going to have to finish this tomorrow because there's other things on the agenda that are very important. <clears throat> that there are different segments from high to low of how expensive the products are in the area that you make. God does not call, I don't believe, except on rare occasions, people to make all levels of that. Well, maybe that's true, but I don't know of any, hardly any exceptions to that. Usually it's one or two or even the most three. That it makes no difference which one you're in. Do you hear that? It makes no difference which one you're in as far as potential for profit. What's the difference is, is how good your product is in the segment you're working. And that's you can make 80% more profit. If I take 300% more profit by doing this, and 80% more profit by doing this, you're talking about revolution, aren't you? You're talking about perhaps, unless God's doing something else in your life tied to pride and arrogance, and he just has to humble you because you won't humble yourself. If that's not going on, and there's no external or internal sin, you're not playing around with your secretary, and your lifestyle is appropriate, there's a good chance... Wrong word. Mm -mm, not a chance. It's a good possibility that putting these things into implementation can make your next year dramatically more excellent. Excellence of service and excellence of product. And we've kind of talked about uh, one and a half ways to do that. And we're going to finish part two and get into number three. And by the time we're done with number three, we're going to have a word of prayer and uh, FCC will be over for this year. 
We're talking about, number one, the way that you excel in uh, your own product is by um, excellence of your market niche. That is, that you pick out the uh, group that you feel God has called you to do. We're trying to get the idea back into our lives that God does not live in church. <laughs> God lives in you. And that Jesus Christ spent 90% of his time in the marketplace and 10% in the synagogue. And if Christianity is going to work, it needs to work where Christ spent the majority of his time. And that's in your and my lives. I'm trying to bring it back into our lives, the realization that our generation has lost the concept that all of us are called. And I've said about three years ago, the words vocation and profession, their root meaning comes from the concept we're talking about. A vocation comes from the Latin word, which means vocal, which means to be called. And when, you, when I ask you what's your vocation, you say I'm an accountant. If you truly understood what you said is, my calling from God is I'm an accountant. And the word profession comes to speak forth. And it comes from the concept that you have a chance to speak forth your beliefs about Christianity in this particular marketplace. And we've lost the concept. We say vocation and don't understand it's a calling. And I didn't come up through Bible college and seminary with a clear understanding of that. I come away with a bias, an unbiblical bias that believed that God basically spent his time calling just full-time workers. But he didn't really care, I guess, although I never thought it through about other areas. And when you go to a college, a Christian college, a Christian liberal arts school, and you begin to ask people, what major are you majoring in? And they say, I'm, I'm majoring in business. Why are you doing that? Because I believe that that's where the openings are going to be, and that's where you can make most money. And if you turn right around and ask the question, do you feel called by God to go into that? It's a shocking question. Usually, i found, not thought about. And there's that bias that says God doesn't call people into business. And we try to prove to you from Scripture, and we could have spent a lot more time on that. God does call all believers into a specific area. We also talked about the fact that that calling includes a gift. Gifting, talent, inclination. What you love to do. We were spending a good time at lunch yesterday with a good friend from another state. And he was talking about that struggle of a growing company in which he spends more and more time in administrating and spending more and more time hating it more and more. <laughs> and I said to him, an old friend of mine once told me a way to figure out where my gift was. He said, after you've done a given thing, if you are invigorated and you can't hardly calm down, it's your area of gift. But if you do it and you hear yourself sighing a lot <sighs> or going home it's tired and no matter how much sleep you get, you're still tired, he said, you're outside your gift. I, it, it takes me two hours to unwind off of one of these. But if I'm making a budget, <laughs> it takes me three days to recuperate. <laughs> so find your area of gift and flourish in it. Now that area of gift is what the thing you're going to do. Either you're going to build something or you're going to serve people. And your personality and drive is going to be somewhere in this marketplace. Don't think God called you to do everything for everybody because he didn't. Narrow it down. And then be, be, be the person, the group that, that ministers most effectively with your gift, with your calling to that group of people with that product. And if you are the best, you'll have the market share. So when people go out to buy a product, that you, the kind that you build... They'll compare them all and say, ah, that's the best one for the price. The most value for the amount that I'll spend.
Here's a customer goes in, says, I want to buy a tape recorder, one that works. <laughs> what a thing to say. <laughs> I'm not buying a used tape recorder. I'm buying a brand new tape recorder. And a customer hears himself saying, and one that works. I spent $125 for a cassette recorder. Because I don't have the time. Keep going back. And the first, it's now dead. It won't play. <laughs> I put a new battery in it. I tried back. And you know what, how hard it's going to be to get the tape recorder? I could hear it now. I'm sorry, we don't fix these. You'll have to mail it back to the manufacturer. I think I'm going to have a speech about excellence right on the spot if he says that to me. <laughs> I hope I preach it without sinning. It says, be angry and sin not. <laughs> Christians on the whole have a normal trait of thinking more faith in God means a bigger market. Realize that that may be uh, under question. Maybe more faith means narrowing it. It's taken more faith for us to narrow it. Second thing we talked about is product quality. And that's where we left yes, off yesterday. And that says whatever God made, He made with excellence. And God's product list is incredible. We begin to think about it. I mean, no matter if you go huge concepts like worlds and universes and Milky Ways, or if you go down the opposite side and you begin dealing with the microscopic area and atoms and energy and big or little, simple or complex, living or dead, small or large, every time you turn around, you see God making a product that is beyond comparison. We talked about, therefore, that the issue, the way God, that I would see that, is no matter what product you make, you are free to make it. If it's serving the needs of people in a proper way. And if you are gifted and called to work in making this kind of product, you have your own choice of whether or not you want to make the product in the low end or in the high end. But whatever niche you decide to make it in, whatever niche you make it in, make sure you are the best in the niche. Best in the niche. <coughs> We also went with a basis that said, success should follow when you follow the most successful. And the most successful is God. When I duplicate what he does, I have a tendency to believe I will be successful not only in his eyes, but in my own internal feelings about how I'm doing as a man, and also in other people's eyes. We try to bring that down to profit, since we all are working to be profitable and be successful. And I, and I felt so uh, sensitive about you not misreading those comments. <coughs> I gave you three exceptions about profit yesterday. I said, you've been doing all these th things, and there could be three exceptions that will mess the profit up like crazy. One, personal sin. I've watched whole companies crumble because the man's running around with his secretary and God says, I'll chastise the living daylights out of you if you care to live that way. I've seen exceptions in corporate sin where there is known lying and deceit and fraud 
and bribery, saying the product's made out of this and it's not, saying we'll deliver at this date and everybody in the company knows you won't deliver it in this date, but you tell it because you think it'll get off the guy's back and the guy calls back and you say it's already been shipped and everybody knows you haven't shipped it, it's still in the warehouse. You're lying like crazy. And all that sifts out and God judges a company just like a person. And it'll rot out from the inside in God's judgment, not right away. He gives mercy, conviction, time, warnings. And then <laughs> he says, well, son, I guess you've chosen for the rod. One year, my goodness, Bert, it was how many years ago now? Sometimes we don't realize we're sinning corporately. Sometimes we do. Then you've got to fix it. But sometimes you don't know. And God, God makes it apparent to you. Then you're forced with a dilemma, aren't you? And usually the corporate sin, listen to me now, usually corporate sin is done for more profitability. That's why we sin corporately. That's why we lie corporately. That's why we cheat corporately. It's for profit. We basically think Doing it Satan's way is more profitable than doing it God's way. And that's why we lie or cheat or steal. And at a, and at a meeting that I was in attendance and listening, I realized our corporate sin in an area that I hadn't perceived to the degree I needed to see it was so clear to me that it broke me. And I, at the end of the meeting, come up to Bert and resigned off our board. And said, until this corporate sin is solved, I'll not serve on your board and I won't speak next year. And didn't. And worked on cleaning up the corporate sin. That until that meeting was not seen by me as a corporate sin. And the test for all of us as leaders is when God reveals sin corporately or personally, what on earth are you going to do? <coughs> the more public or corporate the sin, the more... Humility, it takes on part of the leader. And it has a price tag of a pound of flesh in a good sense. I think the third way that this whole discussion we're talking about can be influenced is not only personal sin or corporate sin, but can also be national sin. And I think we're moving into this very quickly. It's shocked me so far that God has not... Well, I don't have to give that talk. And I think we're coming into it, and I think we're already starting to experience the judgment of God in our country. Well, when God judges a country, even the innocent suffer. And some of us are going to be making choices God's way. Terry Taylor and I had this discussion yesterday next to the flowers on that curved walk. It's a good model for me. And he said to me, you know, Bruce, sometimes you have to make choices that hurt your business, but they're God's way. You don't pay under the table, and you lose the account. That's right. That's right. And God, hold on to this and don't be offended at it if you disagree. God doesn't always repay your integrity now with profit. Amen. He will. <laughs> he will. But oftentimes, not now. Not while you're living. But when, 
when payday comes. <laughs> and he said, hey, you've been working for me. And you did it my way. You didn't do it the other way when it hurt you not to. You did it my way. Now that you're in my kingdom, see, right now it's not his kingdom. The ruler of this world is coming, said Christ, and he has no part in me. But see, his spiritual kingdom's here, but his earthly kingdom is not yet here. And when he comes again, that's when that kingdom is set up. And that's when he rules from Jerusalem. And like we read the first day in Revelation, and the kings of the earth will come into Jerusalem where the king is sitting on the throne where there's no need of the light, no sun, no moon. And they will bring into that great city all of their glory and beauty, which I happen to believe is products, wealth, beautiful things that have been made in their cities that they're bringing to the king. If you think heaven is going to be sitting around singing, then why didn't God make that in the Garden of Eden? God's concept of fullness of life is doing what He has been doing, making and creating and growing things and innovative and painting skies and when you and I get there and all of the sin is gone, instead of using 10% of what is here, instead of being selfish and deceitful and manipulative, and all that's God. Amen. Then the image of God will not be bound by sin and can flourish in ways that you and my imagination cannot even conceptualize. It's not even entered into the eyes not seen. I love those verses. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor has even entered into the mind or the heart, the imagination of man what God has prepared. <laughs> I can't even think of what it's going to be like. That's why it's worth that's why it's worth it now not to compromise. You lose profit sometimes. We risk the whole ministry over a integrity question one time. The whole shebang. And I remember struggling over it for months. One day making the wrong decision about it because I couldn't cope with it. One day saying, Oh got it, no, it's just this way and fluctuating unfortunately. And finally realizing a major lesson in my life I hope I never retreat from, which is obedience to God is the only issue. It's the only issue. And not to evaluate the costs of obedience ever as not worth it. That to never compromise or worry about the cost of obeying. Always do right. If it risks your whole country, company, then go ahead. Risk the whole thing. And if it's your biggest account and the guy says, unless you give me 50 grand and it's a $5 million deal and 50,000 isn't that much money on a $5 million deal, and you say, I'm sorry. And he says, well, then I'm going to go to the guy right next door. And I'll never give, because he, he promised me 60. Happens every day. Happens every day. You got to remember who you work for. And you got to remember you're working for that kingdom. And when you and I make choices which batter us, <laughs> batter us to death sometimes, and those choices become 
difficult. Just remember, they're difficult to the degree that you're only looking in the here and now. What is our life but a vapor that's here and gone? And Just remember where it's really going to end up. And the thought of ruling. <laughs> oh my, that's another talk. Well, all that wasn't on the agenda and I don't know where it fit. But I, I hope that it was of help to you. We were talking about um, excellence of product quality. I want to uh, share a couple other insights about this before we move to point three. <coughs> hey, is there personal sin in your life now? Then you are directly influencing your profit. Is there corporate sin in your business? <coughs> The pornography issue is related to your profit in time. Because God will judge the country. And what Bill Leonard so intensely said last night, if we don't watch out, we won't have a country to do business in. Amen. He's right. And I find in all of our hearts, those of us who have a heart to do right, Sometimes we are so overwhelmed by the size of the problem that we don't do anything at all about the problem. I know I fight that all the time. It's so big, what can you do? So you don't do anything. Do something. The name's on the cards. You made a commitment. Dog on it, don't half of you keep it. <laughs> keep it all, you made a commitment. You shook hands, you gave your business card, keep it. Whatever you got to do. Sell your car if you can't afford Do it. A hundred percent of us. Keep it. Have integrity. Now somewhere in our thinking, we have a funny idea that says, there are certain products that if you make them, you're going to make a lot more profit than some other kind of products. That if I'm in a slow type of industry or if I'm really in a high-tech kind of industry, and my reaction was, as a businessman, that's probably true. And then I asked myself the question, well, if God gifts people differently and calls people differently, then how can he hurt people's potential if that's the way it is? So I did some study on that and found out that there are, in every single industry in America, companies which are flourishing in unbelievable degrees. There's not an exception in any industry at this time. You can't say, and I can't say, as a rationalization, you know, if I was in a different, if I was making computers, if I wasn't in tool and die. No, it's, it's not that way. There are excellent companies in every single segment whose return on investment is staggering. We also talked to you about yesterday the fact that it has nothing to do with the market that you're in. That is, if you're in a high-growth market or a low-growth market, it makes no difference. There are outstanding companies in, <laughs> in any product or any market. And you can be one of those. But you can also have integrity in the middle of that. We're talking about quality. I want to give you a couple of interesting comments. 1974, Motorola was making TVs. And they were averaging 1.5 defects per TV. They had seven inspectors <laughs> for every 25 people. 
Because they said the way to have quality is to add quality inspectors, which is ridiculous. That has the basic assumption that the people who are working for me can't make the quality. And if we let them get loose and not watch them, they won't. Well, what kind of mindset have we bred into our people? The Japanese came into that same company, <laughs> took over, and in 12 months had 0.05 defects. 1.5 to 0.05. And they had one for every 25. Sony in San Diego, here in the United States, not reaching quality at all. They had one inspector for every 15 workers. They came in, and in one year, within the first year, listen to this, this is unbelievable, just shows you what can be done. They set a national record 200 days in a row with no defects in any of their machines. One of the men from Harvard went out and studied this whole thing of quality and he came back and reported this and I want to quote it to us. The shocking news for which nothing prepared me in all of my life to find out. Now this is a Harvard business professor. Is that the failure rates from the highest quality producers of a product and the lowest quality producers listen to this were 500 to 1,000 times different. <laughs> 500 to 1,000 times different making TVs. 500 to 1,000 times different. If you go for quality, do you realize the impact of profit? If you are having 1,000 times less defects and returns than your competitor? His conclusion in a sentence, it costs more to build poor products. Therefore, don't build poor products. Martin Marietta in Louisiana, who made those large um, fuel tanks to help launch the space shuttle, got a bit into this idea of quality and they radically changed it. Listen to this. In 90 days, the quality was completely reversed. And they wondered one day what the impact was when people themselves began to say, I'm responsible for my own quality. And I, and I am going to put out an excellent quality myself. I don't need an inspector. And they began to uh, matrix what's happening in their company. And they found out this. Since that started, 58% less employee grievances were filed. Why? How do people feel about themselves if every seeing if you did your job sloppy? Guess how hard you're working? Why? Guess how you feel about yourself? Guess how you feel about your company? Guess how much pride you have? Drove past GM's auto manufacturing in Atlanta. Huge plant. And I looked in the parking lot to see how many GM cars were being driven by the people who make GM cars. People who make them say, I'm not going to buy them. I'm going to buy Japanese. And they did. Somehow we have one other misconception and then we're off to the next point. The other misconception we have is quality costs much more to produce. Every statistical study that I read 
showed exactly the opposite was true. Not only did you, were you able to make the best quality product, but when you did, your cost to producing the quality product became dramatically less than the people who are making the middle quality or the lesser quality. In fact, in a third of all the companies who produced the best quality, their production costs were the lowest of anyone in the whole segment. The lowest, making the best product. How can that be? Well, if you have no returns, bought a tractor a while ago and uh, used tractor. Took it out to Bush Hog and um, the back stopped working. Three-point three hitch. They had to drive an hour and a half up. This was the first time I used it. Pulled it on the trailer, drove it all the way back, fixed it. A lot of annoyance problems when, you know, a month later, <laughs> they, they drive it up. Actually, I have to drive over there because they can't remember where the farm was. And we just, uh, that day, <clears throat> the engine seized. And I called him up and I said, you'll never guess what happened. Oh, uh, what's the matter? I said, well, the engine just seized up. Oh, no problem. Happens all the time. Great. Um, we'll be up. They didn't come up. Called him, called him, called him. Finally came up, took it back. I said, you know, I got a bush hog, the rest of the stuff. We'll give you a loaner. So they sent up a Ford 2000, used, fine. I don't expect it to be new. <laughs> Two turns. On the second turn, <sighs> man nearby is about 78 to 80, was a uh, mechanic all of his life. I drove over in my old truck and said, would you please come look at this tractor? I don't know what happened. And I did. He said, turn it on and I'll tell you. So what do you mean? He said, I could always tell you what it is by listening. I said, you've got to be kidding. He says, no, for 80 years, man. So I turned it on and he says, your flywheel's busted. So just like that? He said, yeah. I said, can I fix it? He said, no, you can't fix it. So I called the guy back up and I said, I was on my second turn and your flywheel busted. I mean, this is just cutting weeds. Flat land. No stumps, no rocks. I said, no problem. <laughs> so uh, he said, I'll bring another loaner. Great. A few months later, he brought a loaner, another Ford 2000, U.S. made. I said, why don't you take the broken tractor with you? He said, no, no problem. We'll get another day. So what about the tractor I bought from you? Don't worry about it. Use the loaner. Thank you. I bought the farm to have fun with my kids. <laughs> Had a little fishing pond on it and uh, to be able to get away from all the pressure and sit on that old tractor and just bush hog and be able to turn around and say, I cut that. I cut that. The higher you go as a CEO, the more time you wonder, what did I do today? You ever had that feeling? It's wonderful to look behind you and say, I cut it. I did it. It's a wonderful sense of accomplishment. <laughs> Miss the old days with the hands and say, ah, oh, I did it. Uh, well, I got half the field cut. <laughs> and the water started gushing out. I said, oh, what's the matter? 
So I uh, looked back underneath and, and, and replaced the hoses and put a new water and got going and it gushed again. Went back to my old friend and said, come on over, I don't, I don't know what it is. He walked over and he said, That's, it's nothing to do with you. He said, don't worry about this stuff. This is, the battery's all rotted and it's all in the insides. And it, it, Don't do it anymore. Don't use this one. I have two tractors there and there, and the other one back over there. Well, I bought that farm a long time ago, and that tractor was purchased a year ago, <laughs> 18 months ago. I don't have the tractor, and I won't tell you how many times we've talked. And last month, I took the owner up of the trailer on the back of my old truck, and his truck and his trailer, and... <laughs> We pulled back the two four two thousands to try and let him know how much we were committed to helping this process. <laughs> and I said, you know, how can we ever get this finished? And he said, I don't know, but don't worry about it. I sold my farm. And I never finished bush hogging my farm once. It was not your calling. <laughs> I guess not. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do my best. And I'm not going to tell you how much money I lost on that fiasco. Oh. Quality. The man said to me as I was driving away, he said, you know, you'll never guess, we haven't made much money on the sale of this tractor to you. In fact, he says, I think we probably lost money. It doesn't pay not to do your job right. Every time you don't put out a quality product, you're going to lose money. Thanks for listening to FCCI's Pathway to Purpose podcast. FCCI is a global movement of servant leaders who help each other lead companies for Christ. And the value of this content is greatly enhanced when you journey together with other Christian business leaders from around the world. Learn more at FCCI.org. And let others know about the great content you've discovered here on the podcast. Thanks for listening and leading a company for Christ.